Sit on the seat and ride it all around, ride it all around. Get on your bike. Sit on the seat. Put your feet on the pedals and ride it all around, ride it all around. Oh, get that car out of my way. Come on, you ride my bike today. This is Nick Richard. I'm doing Bike Talk live debut, Pioneer Valley, Connecticut Woo! River Valley. <laughs> Here with Galen Mook. Galen is the executive director of Massachusetts Bicycle Coalition. How are you? Thanks, Nick. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's all coming together. We got you <laughs> kind of at the last moment, but here you are. And welcome to Valley Free Radio. And we are in a fun drive, Galen. Ooh, I like that. Is it fun, like F-U-N, or is it fun as in, like, give me your money? Well, a little both. That's with everything. It's <laughs> always both is the answer. But yeah, we need the money to work on the station, improve the signal, renewing the FCC license over here at Valley Free Radio. Oh, um, yeah. And I imagine that all the DJs and producers are all volunteer. Is that right? Yeah. So you don't get any of this money. This is all just for operating costs. Oh, yeah. No money ever for bike talk. <laughs> for better or worse. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe someday, but I'm all about non-commercial. Oh, most definitely. You know, it's funny. I have a bike talk on MIT's radio station, WMBR, here in Cambridge. Mm -hmm. Actually, I'm in Boston, but looking over the river in Cambridge, and we're the same. We're a non-commercial MIT community service. We just went through our fundraiser last week. We're kind of running parallel lives here, Nick. Was it fun? Well, yes and no. So not to go back to too poetic, but... One of the fallouts of the pandemic is that we've been pre-recording all of our material for the station, not even just for my shows, but all of the shows. So it's not even live. So there's been this disassociation. We haven't been in the studio in over a year and a half. We haven't even been like seeing each other as a community. Mm-hmm. So fun, not so much, because in the past, fundraisers were we would all be in the station together to answer phones and do phone banking and really get to know the DJs. But we haven't actually been able to do that. So We raised our money as needed, and we contributed remotely and asynchronously. It wasn't nearly as fun as it had been in the past, and we all had hung out and ate the food together and answered the phones together and really got to hang out as volunteers as well. Yeah. So it goes. So this Bike Talk is originally from Los Angeles, and we have a podcast at KPFK, the Pacifica Network in Los Angeles, and we used to be doing it at the studio, and you know, you'd know, you run into like KRS-One, or actually that was the only famous person, but it was cool to be like there with the live mics, and like I am right now. But I'm wondering if we can syndicate here, just sort of at a grassroots level. So we got KPFK, we got Valley Free Radio, we got, it's not called MIT. WMBR. The MIT station, though. Um, what do we call it? We just call it WMBR. It actually stands for Walker Memorial Basement Radio because it's in the Walker Memorial building. You call it Walker Memorial Basement Radio? Yeah. Like that's what the call oh, signals, yeah. that's what the call letters awesome. actually originated as. It goes longer than I want to, but you know, there's a story where we used to be different call letters like MIT radio or something like that, but Ted Turner somehow purchased the rights to the call letters, so we had to switch the call letters back in the seventies. Predates me by a long shot, but for those of you in the Boston area, it's 88.1 FM, which and is awesome. You're already Bike Talk. Yeah, yeah, we have a Bike Talk. It's actually not this season because we haven't been in studio, so we're kind of putting it on hiatus. But Bike Talk Cambridge from MIT has been around for, I want to say, six years mm-hmm. or so. And what do you all talk about there? Uh, bikes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, bikes. Um, which, you know, a little bit of what I want to bring today. So we bring in advocates or 
elected officials who like biking or, you know, a new bike technology or a mechanic or a bike fitter or something like that, or somebody who rode across country to tell their story. And it's an hour long, similar to yours. But one of my favorite things that we do, we call Bike Joy, Mm -hmm. which we make all of our guests go through. It's kind of our introduction of, hey, Senator so-and-so from this district liked Mira. And so, you know, Rep Sabadosa, who's your awesome state representative, she Mm -hmm. might call in. And they'd be like, all right, we want to get in the nitty gritty of the legislation that you're working through. But before we do that, let's talk about a bike joy that mm-hmm. you've experienced. And bike joy is this kind of uninhibited, fun exuberance that we all feel on occasion when we're riding a bike, that ear to ear smile that you get. So we like to have our guests kind of go through their recent bike joy. And that's a way that we kind of kick off the sentiment of we're going to be complaining about something, I'm sure, during the segment. But let's start with something joyous. Right. So you want to start off? Ooh, yeah, I would. Okay. And I'm going to pass it to you, so be ready. So what is a recent bike trip? We'll actually start with last night. This is kind of an ironic one because I was actually in a car, but watching other people ride a bike, we had a terrible thunderstorm, actually a really awesome thunderstorm, roll through Boston right around 8 o'clock, so right when like bars and restaurants time was going on. So that's my excuse for being in a car. But anyway, (laughs) I was driving. But we were driving home, the concert we were at, and... I don't know if you've been to Boston and seen like the bike share system that's here. It's similar dock system, public bike share. You can pull it out. It's the same types of bikes that are in Chicago, DC, New York, et cetera. Different than the Valley bike ones that you have out there. Kind of similar where they have a front basket. Okay. And twice we saw this on the ride home Two like totally separate groups of people. And I should preface this by saying mass bike as an advocacy organization and myself as a reasonable person do not condone what I'm about to describe. Mm. But it was awesome. They, oh, it's were, a fine line between not condoning and finding it awesome. Or, <laughs> is that a fine line? No, but go on. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I got to get my uh, my PSA out there. But the baskets were being used as seats for friends to be pedaling around other friends. Right. And these were college kids, I would guess. If I had to guess, they were probably like 18, 19 year olds. So like more or less fully developed humans, wow. at least physically, maybe not mentally. And they were riding around in this urban mix of Boston right after a heavy rainstorm. And honestly, there's two totally separate groups of people like a mile apart that we saw. But it was a way for college kids, I'm imagining they're college kids, to kind of experience bike joy of biking around their friends in the bike share system in Boston, which is a pretty compact city, very bikeable, but not exactly the friendliest traffic. And I just could just see these kids just giggling, just like straight up. You you roll the window, you could hear them laughing. (laughs) Um, and it was amazing. And of course, for those of you who work the bike share, my apologies. I know those baskets are being broken by these (laughs) riders. I feel you. This is why I don't condone it. But on the other hand, to get the sense of that joyous friend and being able to participate in that. And we did some friendly honks and some thumbs up as we were driving by. It was good. It was like, we got to experience other people's bike joy, just riding around the bike share system. Well, you remember when France was doing the Velo Lib, the beginning Mm -hmm. They would video themselves riding them off of bridges or whatever they did, and they were just getting destroyed regularly. But now look at Paris. So maybe that's part of the joyous beginnings of a real bike city. I will say that we've had bike share for like 11 years here. So we've already gone through the growing pains of having bikes end up in the harbor pretty regularly. Funny story, I used to work, full disclosure, I used to work for the bike share company when we started here in 2011. And my friend moved to Seattle, who's also a bike share. And I'm not going to name names or anything, but he sent me a photo of a Boston-based Hubway bike share bike sitting on a far-out abandoned pillar of a pier out in Seattle's harbor. Oh, wow. 
works. Uh, but <laughs> but that has to happen is what I guess my point is about Paris. I agree. Yeah. I agree. And like, you know, it's the collateral damage of bringing the joy of biking to an entire populace. Yeah. And like, if you break a few baskets, you know, in the grand scheme of things, we're going to be okay. But this is not part of your PSA, though. No, 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 no. Again, no <laughs> condoning, just observing. So what is the job of, a, of your job? Oh, cool. Yeah, we'll go to briefly. So I run Mass Bike. We're a statewide bike advocacy nonprofit. Been around since 1977. I think we were one of the first uh, Massachusetts Bicycle Coalition. Back then it was even called the Boston Area Bike Coalition or something like that. And it's transitioned over the decades. But it's basically keeping a track of statewide issues now. So legislation on a state level, funding, policies, Fatal crashes, which go to the DA's offices, things that are kind of a little bit bigger than your local bike lane, your local pothole. We keep track of the mechanisms that facilitate the local work. So Mass Bike is basically the statewide entity of a nonprofit that connects resources to the local level, be it your local bike club, your local bike advocacy group, your local bike life or bike co-op, or you try to connect local elected officials to the right direction. So we have some legislation out there this year. One's about e-bike definitions. One's about a three-foot passing law. One piece of our legislation would require side guards on trucks and large vehicles. So if a truck driver is turning right, they might not roll over somebody who's riding a bike. Things along those lines. So we keep track of that like 35,000 foot view so that it can actually make the impact to every rider. And you can check us out at massbike.org. That's my plug there. Well, so I'm just fresh out of Los Angeles, California, where we work with the California Bicycle Coalition, and they're still going to give us other weekly updates. So how does it compare an organization like that? I mean, Massachusetts and California, two different places. Yeah, good question. Well, it's about politics, I would say. So California politics, I'm sure you're familiar with like the referendum mess that happens from a populist driven political system. You know, you like get governor recalls all the time and stuff like that or unfunded mandates. But Massachusetts is a completely different political system, even though we are a democracy. We basically have a lot of home rule. So the cities and towns have most of the say. So a lot of what we do from a state level is to make sure that the cities and towns are coordinating and communicating We have 351 cities and towns in Massachusetts, which means we have 351 kind of ways to approach where bikes are able to ride and police officers enforcing bike laws or traffic laws or funding mechanisms. Boston is different than Brookline. Northampton is different than Holyoke. Different funding mechanisms, different political systems. And that's something that we have to deal with in Massachusetts, which is tough because one of my mantras is all biking is local kind of a tip of the helmet to Tip O'Neill, who was a speaker of the House from Massachusetts back in the 80s, who did a lot of pushing of of getting stuff. But yet, all transportation is a regional conversation. So where California, I think you have much bigger landscapes to play with. You have a, a broader county system that can operate more regionally inherently. Massachusetts really is divided and split up. And so we have to kind of bring, almost kicking and screaming, all the cities and towns together to talk about something like a regional bike share system or a regional bike path network or a regional funding mechanism. So that's one of the nuances. And I should also say California is massive. Massachusetts is big, but California really should be split into multiple states type of big. So Massachusetts, I do feel is a little more manageable culturally. You're out in the Valley. I'm here in Boston area. We can go to the Berkshires. We can go to the Cape and people still feel a little bit of solidarity of being part of Massachusetts. Whereas my experience in California, like L.A. is totally distinct from San Diego, is right. totally distinct from the Bay Area, is totally distinct from Sacramento. So 
you have different ideologies almost um, culturally. All right. So let me remind everybody, if you're just tuning in, we got live people now potentially <laughs> tuning in. And we were talking to Galen Mook of Bike Talk at, it's not World Naked Bike Ride, but it's close. <laughs> yeah. The Walker Memorial Basement Radio, WMBR. Right, 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 right. But if you do Google WMBR, you go to a super rad organization of the World Naked Bike Ride. Which I did. Full disclosure, I will condone that. Um, <laughs> so we're fun driving over here. And you might as well give a shout out to KPFK and WMBR too. But we fun driving. It doesn't take a lot of money relatively to keep low power FM station like this going. But low power FM stations are increasingly rare. And your money goes a long way if you want to go and donate at valleyfreeradio.org. It's a drop down menu. Donate. Yeah, the radio might be free, but they could still use your money. Yes. Yeah. I do want to hear your bike joy at some point too. Don't, don't oh, forget. let me just do that real quick. Okay. I think my bike joy was when I first got on the Valley Bike Share here in uh, Connecticut River Valley, which was in Northampton. And I went on the covered bridge over the Connecticut River here in Northampton. Have you ever been on it? You get on this bike path and it goes through the city of Northampton, which is the college city. It's for Smith College. It's a very cute city with, I don't know if they want to call it cute, but because it's like a real city, but... And then you just go through these bike paths that go through kind of like a miniature rainforest and over a seemingly big river and through fields. And it, the bikes are electric and um, you don't really need a helmet and you get the basket and the big smiles are happening. And you're like, I can't believe this. I can't believe how great this is. The closest thing to that in L.A. would be the beach paths or the river path. But you still don't get that experience. It's like a bike version of a car commercial where, like, it's just the road in you. It's just stretching to infinity. I love it. Yeah, I know that path very well. And I'm glad that you're tapping into the best parts of out in the valley already. Yeah, and I want to talk to you about how to do more of that and make places like Pittsfield, where I work, more accessible. But yeah, I'd be more than happy to dive in. Tell me about Pittsfield. Oh, Pittsfield's interesting. So for those of you not familiar with Massachusetts, we have a very dense Boston, eastern Massachusetts area, right on the far, far eastern side of the state. Very populous, very dense. But the further out west you get, you basically get to hill towns. Very rural, very mountainous. But yet, based on the way the glaciers work, and I'm getting into it now, I'm vamping for real. The glacial movement as it moved southward eons ago created these like north-south corridors of valley. I did so not expect you to go this far back. <laughs> That's so there's awesome. a Connecticut River Valley, which is great, but it's surrounded by like some nice mountains. And then you go further out west, go over the Berkshire Mountains, and you're on the Housatonic Valley, which basically is this flat area that runs north and south through the entire state from the southern side of like Lee and Stockbridge area. And you get Pittsfield, and then you go all the way north. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because it's really hard to have a bike path in the mountains, obviously, because we're following, like, flat rail trails. We don't have a lot of rails cutting through mountains. But there's Massachusetts kind of split in these north-south corridors, and Pittsfield is, like, the major city in the furthest out west corridor. And the beauty of it being in a valley is it's there's this rail corridor that goes all the way north, pretty much to the Vermont border, and even beyond if they extend it. The trail out there is called the Ashwiltecook Rail right. Trail. It's one of the first that the state really bought into. And I think it's like 17 or 27 miles long. I should know. Based on my job, I should know this. But it's pretty sizable. But it goes through reservoir areas and nature preserves. And it's, it's absolutely beautiful. But it doesn't connect to Pittsfield yet. So hmm. the game in Pittsfield is perfectly spot, flat area, 
should connect that extra mile and a half to the rail trail because there's this very dense urban core surrounded by rural communities that are bucolic and awesome. But the goal is to make sure that all that recreation opportunity can actually make its way into the city. Mm-hmm. And there's no real like east-west corridor because, again, the mountains, but it should be an awesome north-south corridor to literally go up the entire state. Wow, That's a little bit of what we're working on at Pittsfield. I want to head into this interview I really want you to listen to. Have you heard of 25 by 25? Um, a little bit. It's what, 25% of a city's streets should be devoted to people and not cars yeah. by 2025? Yeah. Am I giving it away? Well, yeah, it's okay. It's no secret. <laughs> it started with transportation alternatives in New York City, and it got traction. And then our uh, Streets for All in Los Angeles is bringing to L.A. And so we did an interview with Michael Schneider, the founder of Streets for All. And I thought we could play it. It's only 13 minutes. And then you could talk about it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, let's go ahead and hit it. Welcome to Bike Talk, Michael Schneider from Streets for All. It's so great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. So we're here today to talk about this amazing new proposal you have, 25 by 25. Can you tell us how it all started? Sure. So about nine months ago, I saw a tweet by Transportation Alternatives, which is sort of a counterpart, uh, fighting the good fight on the streets of New York City. They've been around a lot longer than we have. And they launched this thing called NYC 25 by 25. And in their case, it was a challenge to the next mayor of New York to reallocate 25% of street space back to people. And when I say back from people, away from cars and back to people. And they had a whole host of things they wanted, uh, most of which applied to LA, some of which didn't. For example, in New York, they have a big issue with trash just being left, trash bags being left on the sidewalk and in the street. We don't really have that as much here in LA. Um, and they had a couple other things. So I reached out to Danny Harris, who's a friend of mine and runs Transportation Alternatives and said, I love your campaign. And as opposed to the for-profit world where you never want anyone to copy your idea, hopefully the nonprofit world, we all want good ideas to spread. And I asked him if we could uh, copy it and change it and adapt it for LA. And he said, yes, thankfully. And he hooked us up with some of the same people they had worked with on the video and on the report. And that was the beginning. And we, we've spent the last six months, uh, changing everything that needed to be changed from the silhouette of the empire state building in the video to a palm tree or from the street vendors, uh, blue and yellow umbrella in New York to the rainbow ones you see here, um, to more substantial things like the percentages of space and how we're going to use them. Slow streets in New York are called open streets, for example. So we basically took everything that made sense and then added on to it and LA-fied the campaign down to the smallest detail. It's amazing. And everybody should watch the video. It's so inspiring. You just, you, you can see it. You can just imagine LA completely different. It would be very, very nice if LA looked like the video does. And I should say the campaign in New York was a huge success for them. Um, I believe they got every single candidate running for mayor of New York City to sign on, including Eric Adams, who last night officially won the office and is going to be the next mayor of New York. And last week, under the banner of 25 by 25, he announced 300 miles of protected bike lanes in New York City in his first term. So this is not just a feel-good campaign, although it does, or something that, that sounds good. 
it's designed to be actionable and also to hold politicians to account if they don't take action on it. And it's very exciting to see Eric Adams do that. Yeah, and I saw that they're closing eight blocks in downtown Brooklyn to cars. And I there's saw that talk too. Of, right? And then there's talk of um, getting all the cars out of Soho, which would be, I feel like that would be the domino that just starts everything. Yeah, and, you know, New York is a different place. In Manhattan, the majority of people that live in Manhattan don't own a car. And the majority of people that live in Los Angeles and probably any area or most areas own a car. So that is a key difference between the two cities, but the, the spirit of it is the same. And if anything, we have much better weather than New York City does, and we should be able to have all these great outdoor spaces and enjoy them year round a lot easier. I know people say that there's three reasons you can't have bike lanes or cities give, and it's too many hills, the weather's too bad, and um, the streets are too narrow. And LA doesn't have any of those. We have great weather huge swaths of the city are flat and the roads are way too wide. So we could be the bike capital of the world, I think. Yeah, we really have all the perfect ingredients and the average trip here is three miles. That's a casual 15 minute bike ride. So so you've had all these people um, sign on. I mean, the list is like growing, right? Yeah. So one of the most exciting things about 25 by 25 is we are asking the people that will have the power to implement it to publicly sign on and commit. And we started about two weeks before we launched. We just launched two days ago on November 1st. So about mid-October, we started asking campaigns or if someone's running for re-election, the incumbent, um, if they're willing to sign on and commit to it, commit to reallocating 25% of space within their district by 2025. Or if it's a citywide office, like the mayor, the controller, or the city attorney, if they will commit to helping fund it, or in the mayor's case, helping leading, leading the charge on it, in the city attorney's case, this would actually save a lot of money. It costs the city a lot of money settling with families of people that have been injured or killed on our very dangerous streets, our sidewalks that are broken, our pavement that's broken, people that get hit by cars trying to cross the street on foot or on bike. So this is actually not, it's obviously the human element's much more important. We're losing people, but it's also a very expensive problem for the city. So in LA, we didn't just target it to the mayor like New York, because we really have 15 mini mayors. So we targeted it to the mayor and the controller and city attorney, as well as council district one, three, five, seven, nine, 11, 13, and 15, all the ones that are up for, up for grabs in 2022. And so far, we have two mayoral candidates that have signed on, two out of four major candidates for city controller, four out of five major candidates for city attorney. Uh, we have the challenger in CD1. Uh, in CD3, unfortunately, Bob Blumenfield, the incumbent, did not sign on, but his challenger, Yasmin Pomeroy, did. CD5, which is one of the most challenged districts in the city for things like bike lanes under Paul Caretz. He's termed out and every single major candidate running against him has signed on, all five of them. In CD9, we have the incumbent, current price, and his major challenger, Dulce Vasquez. And in CD13, we have everybody but Mitchell Farrell. So, and in CD15, we, we have one out of wow. three major candidates. So we have amazing. a tremendous amount of momentum. And our hope is that we... Definitely want to get whoever's going to be the next mayor on board. And we want to deliver to them on a silver platter, a city council that half of which have pledged to support this. And that's, that right. is the political will. It should all come together. Yeah. 
Ah, can you give us a couple examples of what would it look like if it succeeds? Oh, it would just be a completely different place. So first of all, um, slow streets would be massively, massively expanded, uh, about 20 times what it is today. So slow streets, which have been one of the most popular programs the city's ever done, a pandemic era program, which is now being made permanent, would really dot every single part of Los Angeles. And I think that's just so important because while it's a very inexpensive and lightweight program, it, you're just talking about metal signs, bollards, some paint, nothing too expensive. It's very meaningful. Most people, even if they love their SUV and drive two blocks to the supermarket, still want to be able to cross their residential street or have their children cross the street or walk their dog in peace without worried, worrying about speeding cars or getting hit by a car. So slow streets would be massively expanded. And in fact, 25%, about half of it, about 12% of it would just be a major expansion of slow streets. So that would probably be the single biggest thing that would touch every single part of Los Angeles in a really meaningful way. So we're calling for 1,341 miles of permanent slow streets or 6,500 acres across the city. We also want to make it, crossing the street at major intersections would become a lot easier. We want to put what are called leading pedestrian intervals, where the walk sign for pedestrians changes to green about three seconds before the light changes to green for cars. That's much, much safer for pedestrians because by the time the light turns green for cars, pedestrians are already starting to cross and cars can see them in the crosswalk, making the risk of a collision much less likely. It's also safer for people on bikes that can get a head start. So we would, we're calling for LPIs, scramble crosswalks, bump outs, and other safety improvements at 60,000 intersections. That's pretty much every major intersection in the city. Again, that's, some of that is expensive when you're talking about concrete work, but changing signals is not that expensive. And that could be done fairly quickly by the city. We would have wider and friendlier sidewalks. We've calculated it at 52 million square feet of wider and friendlier sidewalks. Um, so that would just be wider sidewalks for street vendors, people in wheelchairs, strollers, um, et cetera. 615 miles of bus only lanes. So the bus would get way, way more efficient in the city. Um, that would basically have a bus only lane on every single tier one metro route. So all the most important bus routes would have their own lane. It'd be far more efficient than cars at rush hour. We would have plazas. You know, this idea, if, if we travel to Europe or South America or many parts of the world, people love sitting down at a cafe and having a coffee and a car-free, a car light plaza. And that idea is very foreign in Los Angeles. The, the closest thing we have is Third Street, which is not even in the city of Los Angeles. It's in Santa Monica, Third Street Promenade. We also have The Grove, which is obviously a private shopping center. But if you think about The Grove, it's a car-free street with a park and a fountain and an old-school streetcar. Um, and that's kind of what we've got in the city. So this would dramatically expand the amount of open space and plazas where nearly every Angelino would live within a 10-minute walk of a park or an open space. And we would do that by pedestrianizing streets. Um, that can be pedestrianized and pedestrianized streets also increase businesses, uh, commerce to restaurants and bars. It would be 600 miles of new protected bike lanes. So essentially we would be asking the city to implement its 2035 mobility plan 10 years early by 2025. 
And that would create a safe bike network that anyone eight to 80 could use and feel safe doing it. It would add 200,000 new trees, which would both provide shade and capture water. 6,000 new bus stops with shelter, 2,500 public restrooms, 10,000 new benches, 20,000 new trash cans. It would dramatically expand alfresco. So 7,500 additional alfresco treatments, basically uh, about half of every restaurant or bar in the city would get an alfresco treatment. And lastly, 1,000 new metro bike share stations and 80,000 new bikes and scooter corrals. So this would just be a completely different city that- amazing <laughs> it would be amazing it would be the kind of place that uh people would come and rave about how amazing the place feels right ah oh my god well michael this is so exciting and and what can we do to help this along well there's people that haven't signed on yet so if you love the plan and you notice that your council member is running for re-election and they haven't signed on or if you notice that there is no incumbent, like CD15 doesn't have an incumbent, but that the candidate that you support hasn't signed on, ask them to sign on. Uh, this is a really awesome program that these are widely popular ideas. It's good politics to sign on. And we're hoping that other people see it that way too. We're also going to be holding people accountable. Um, in the sign-on form, it specifically states for council members, will you commit to not just letting the city implement this, but leading on it and asking DOT and Streets LA and the various city agencies to implement this stuff. And we will hold them accountable. We're going to be creating a report card system where we're going to be dividing each council district. And, you know, every six months we'll be updating it and seeing what's in the hopper, what have they been doing. The only way we're going to meet this goal is by dramatic action uh, by the mayor and by every council district. Well, the this is incredible. We are all behind you. And um, thank you so much for coming on Bike Talk and telling us about it. Thanks for having me. So that's what they're doing in LA for 25 by 25. I just want to remind listeners that we are in a fun drive at valleyfreeradio.org. You can go there, valleyfreeradio.org slash donate. Also, we are talking to Galen Mook, executive director of Massachusetts Bicycle Coalition, also has the other bike talk at WMBR in Boston. And we're podcast on kpfk.org too. But the fun drive is for Valley Free Radio right now and low power FMs are worth supporting and your money goes a long way. So 25 by 25 is very inspiring. Yeah, I know LA fairly well. Seeing a city like LA with that vision and the fact that city councilors are getting on board and the mayor can get on board. It's like you could have a major impact that has a huge ripple effect by getting the city to commit to this. And I think that will be felt. And, you know, the proof of the pudding of what's going on in New York City, the ripple effect there is shaking advocacy all the way out on the West Coast. Um, this is a very powerful concept. But it's easier in New York is the impression I get, because in New York City, most people there don't have cars. They don't drive. Yeah, I think there's a lot of factors. New York City, it's probably easier because of a lot of things. One, the density of people. So I think New Yorkers, and my brother's been in New York since the mid-90s, and it's a short hop away from Boston, so I know it fairly well. A lot of people feel like drivers are not New Yorkers. So it's almost like those who can drive don't really represent real New York for a lot of it. Or, you know, if they have to drive, don't get me wrong, feel free to call yourself a New Yorker. But most New Yorkers walk or take the subway. So there's been kind of like a friction between who these streets are for 
Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in LA, I feel like everybody drives because it's just car culture and freeways everywhere and it makes sense. So I think there's going to be a little bit of nuance between how it's sold culturally between the two cities. Mm-hmm. And but then, I also think yeah. that their cities are so big that if a city decides to make a move, it will have an impact that's felt by millions of people. Whereas Boston is smaller comparatively, not just like population wise, but we're also split up into different municipalities. So what Boston would decide to do isn't necessarily what Cambridge would decide to do isn't necessarily what Somerville would decide to do. Even though we're all one big metro area, decisions need to be made differently, more chopped up than you would if you had kind of a one-stop shop like you do in New York or LA. Mm -hmm. And so the work is different in each part of the country. Yeah, and it's funny to hear how everybody's tackling the same challenges. We all have the same vision of we want the streets to be given back to people, uses for people, whether they're catching a bus or taking a train or walking or biking or in a wheelchair or whatever. The auto is the problem. We need to get rid of an auto-centric ideology. And I think the way that politics and culture work differently in different areas, we have to go about the solutions totally differently, even though the vision is still the same. And one example I can bring up from my work, we work statewide at MassBike, Massachusetts Bicycle Coalition is Massachusetts. There has been a big movement for this ideology that has come from the state level from the Mass DOT, the Department of Transportation, is actually pursuing this same idea of an open streets or a shared streets or a slow streets concept, but yet the DOT can't necessarily make a municipality of a city and town do it. So what we've been seeing from a state level is that the state has been offering money in form of grants that municipalities can basically receive for free to build an open streets concept a shared streets concept, and it moves the needle and it moves the conversation really along, and especially in municipalities who haven't thought about this stuff independently, because the state's saying, here's $250,000 to shut down the street, repaint it, put out some tables and chairs, and make your businesses expand out into the on-street parking. And that's been mainly due to COVID, and is an emergency response that the state was able to get the funding and kind of get it out to the municipalities. And they basically gave it a carrot as opposed to a stick in terms of the carrot and stick analogy of how we incentivize something. And they basically said, the state's like, we'll give you free money, city of Northampton, to put some on-street tables and expand your sidewalks because people feel like they can't go shopping because of COVID. And so let's give our streets back to more like socially distant uses. And that has stuck around in the year and a half that we've been doing it. And I think this is going to be an ongoing conversation that the state is basically saying, Take this money, convert your downtowns or your neighborhood streets so that they're not just for car parking. But it's done on a totally different level. Like in New York, you can have a city do it, a city decide to do it, affecting 10 million people in five boroughs. Los Angeles County is like basically at the behest of LA City. But here in Massachusetts, like I was mentioning earlier, we have 351 cities and towns. So in order to get this reasonably decided throughout the state, we have to kind of have a lot of smaller conversations and incentivize each of those conversations. And the state's been doing it with what they call the Shared Streets and Spaces Grant. And I'm going to throw a link for you here, Nick, in the chat that maybe you could share with your audience, too. Yeah, maybe on our social media, because it's a long link. (laughs) Yeah, there's an article from Streets Blog here in Massachusetts. But I guess my point is, even though I'm long-winded, is that that vision that LA is taking from New York right now, it's like shared throughout, definitely shared throughout Massachusetts. And the conversation comes into how do you strategize the mechanisms to actually get it into place? I want to talk about that 
And I think it's going to be a lot of comparative strategy. Do you want to keep working on this from your part of the world, Boston? I do. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, bike talk. Oh, yeah. I mean, getting the message out. I like the idea of we're across a continent, yet we're still fighting the same battle. We're yeah. just going to fight them differently. I don't mean to make it a hard analogy, but yeah, there's issues in LA that definitely are the same issues that we're facing in Boston. And I'm, I'm curious as to see how LA is going to start tackling it. So let's keep this bike talk meld trifecta of Florence to Cambridge to LA moving. Uh, uh, I really like that. I'm actually thinking of pulling Chicago into the conversation. How would that be? Oh, word. Yeah. Um, Midwest cities. It's funny, you know, I didn't catch your co-host's name, the woman who was announcing. Lindsay Sturman, very important to say that. Lindsay, yeah, awesome. Well, Lindsay was great. And I think she mentioned the three things like narrow roads, weather, and hills keep people from biking. And I'm like, okay, well, you're out in Florence, so you've got some hills out there, in a sense. you got some yeah. narrow roads. It's called the hill towns, right? right? It was kind of yeah. iffy. So interesting to see how you're going to come over this. But Chicago, for instance, wide roads, flat, grid system, totally different than what we have battle in Massachusetts. So yeah, bring in Chicago. I want to hear how they're overcoming their barriers. I can already feel how the show is going to be. It's Chicago, LA, Boston, Florence, and New York City. It's just going to have that feel of like, you see the plane with the red line going from city to city and like the old <laughs> movies. Like but, from Indiana Jones? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> well, I also know that you're kind of living in the hill towns out there, but like you get a rural sensibility out in the Pioneer Valley, Connecticut River Valley, Western Mass area. So I'm curious as to what your own personal take is on all of this yeah. stuff, Nick, now that you've kind of seen it in the urban cores. How can you take that to more rural and hill towns? You got time for my answer? Yeah. Okay. You know, I find myself driving. I could ride on the roads, but I have a daughter and she's very young and I want to bring her where I go. And it's almost worse than biking in the city to bike on these country roads where basically drivers, they don't necessarily expect you, even less than in the city. So I am talking the talk here at Bike Talk, but I am not biking the bike so much right now. And that's why more than ever, I'm wanting to get protected bike lanes and stuff. But what do you do when things are five and 10 miles apart? How do you make that less car dependent? Yeah, it's tough. I got a couple of short answers, but I don't know how much they're going to move the needle. E-bikes are going to be the thing. Right. If you can really go at a reasonable clip over hills, e-bikes could be it. But then you also then need to flip that with driver awareness. Because if you're going to have a lot more people getting out on the bike, Drivers need to be watching out for them. And similar to the motorcycle conversation of look twice, save a life, or check twice, save a life type of thing, where you see those signs up, this big 15 exclamation point, bright yellow signs that go up around um, to remind people like to double check. So it's not just more riders over more terrain, but then you also have to really get in the mentality of all the road users. And that's the hard one that we're trying to deal with at Mass Bike, because I feel even though we're trying to pass legislation that would make it illegal to pass closely and all that sort of stuff, it's really coming down to education and awareness more than anything else. So how do we crack the nut of really getting into the driver's brains when they're out there? They need to take ultimate responsibility when they're out there driving these machines that are really deadly. And, you know, there's an example in Northampton where there's this woman who was driving and sadly she ran a stop sign because she was allegedly on FaceTime right. and killed Charlie Brown, who was a Northampton resident. How do you get into that mentality? The most safe infrastructure and the most numbers of bikers that are out there, how do we then battle that? ultimate danger of distracted driving. I don't know if you wanted to take that dark of a turn. <laughs> and where well, I was gonna go, but I just wanted to bring up that. Like these are these are the existential challenges that we face on our roads. Well I know we're supposed to stay positive because it's a fun drive, but on a bike advocacy show, that dark turn is always just ahead. And it's good to remind people that I like to lead with bike joy. 
in my show, but then sometimes I follow it up with like, what's your bike struggle? Yeah. And you know, you could have a small struggle of like, Oh, I was caught in the rain the other day. Or you could have a very real struggle. of like, I knew somebody who was killed and that's the reality of the world out there. Huh? Uh, yeah. So Charlie Braun, I'm not sure if it's pronounced Brown or Braun, but he was right around here. And he got hit and killed was about five minutes from here or less with a mm-hmm. studio, uh, Valley Free Radio. And there's a ghost bike and it's right in front of the Northampton High School, big public high school. And it should have been safe. And I'm just wondering, it feels like something could come of that, speaking of strategy, but maybe that's another conversation. It's tough because it galvanizes people to get out and get angry when there's a fatal crash. And it reminds drivers... Now we have something to point to, to be like, this woman was FaceTiming when she was driving. We have a distracted driving law that is completely illegal. Regardless of getting a cop out there to give her a ticket, that's not the point. It's just to remind people the severity of, of what it means to drive. But that said, I do want to preface this by saying that it is still safe to ride a bike. We have hundreds of thousands of miles of bikes being ridden out here, and there's very few severe fatal crashes that happen statewide comparatively to other modes of transit, you know, car crashes that happen on a common basis. We have this perceived sense of danger on a bike because they're so vulnerable out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're sharing a space with something so dangerous as a car or a truck. So... I think it's a heightened concern around it, but the perception of danger is different than the reality of danger. Hmm. But that said, from an advocate's perspective, we do use these rare instances of fatal crashes to remind and galvanize, like I said, just getting the conversation back front and center. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like Charlie Brown was a Kurtan singer. You know what that is? Uh, a A little bit, but describe it. Well, I actually don't. (laughs) the genre that well but it's spiritual music and i think it was probably about healing and about staying positive and and he's a teacher at the school he's a high school teacher i would think that somebody like that would be an anchor kind of for some kind of activism around it yeah or at least to work in his memory i'm not in the connecticut Valley, so i wasn't there personally but i have heard the stories his friends actually came upon the crash while he was mortally wounded on the roads and they were chanting I read this in one of the email groups that we're on. I think you were on this one too, Nick. But by report, he didn't die alone. He died with his kind of chantra community around him, chanting and singing these like peaceful songs, I guess, to help deal with the spiritual transition from this plane to the next. And that really strikes me as something that like, I haven't really processed it fully yet, but it's something that really strikes me as something that's just like, oh, there's something so beautiful and sad and tragic, but yet life is sad and tragic. regardless. I don't know. I haven't really put it all together yet. It's just a lot of emotions. Yeah. I spoke to somebody who knew him and I asked if we could talk to people about it. And she said it might be too soon, but I do think that there might be something coming together. Yeah. I'd love to be part of it. And if we could get something in his honor and his memory. And of course, Mass Bike does this work every day. I get up every day and there's no question what I'm going to do today. Right. I'm going to fight for people like Charlie Brown or we... Not to preface it too much, because I know we're running out of time, but next week is the World Day of Remembrance, mm-hmm. which is a worldwide event. It's actually next um, Sunday, the 21st. It's always the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And it's a time in which we, as advocates, remember those who we've lost to traffic violence and traffic crashes. Okay. It's really sad. It's probably the hardest part of the job. Mm-hmm. Getting in touch with the family members, victims, the friends of the victims, Um, To basically speak on the need to make safer roads and to follow Division Zero, which your audience may or may not know Vision Zero, but it's something to look up. But it's like a a, basically a 
policy concept that all roads should be safe enough that there should be zero fatalities on our roads from anybody. Right. We should design our roads so that when there's a crash, it doesn't lead to a fatal crash. And so how can we do that? But it's this time of year where we take a minute to reflect on who we've lost. And this is part of the work and this is part of just being human. World Day of Remembrance, that would be our next show. Okay, that's perfect. Do you want to come on the next show too? I probably can at this time frame because I'm probably actually going to be at a ceremony. Oh, They're held around the state. We're probably going to host one in Springfield, actually in your neck of the woods. And there's going to be one in Pittsfield too. Actually, I think it's going to be Lennox because there's a gentleman killed in Lennox this year, very sadly. But the idea is small ceremonies locally, light candles, lay flowers, remember people for their personhood. Um, Not as a statistic and not as just like an infrastructure conversation, but who were these people? Who are these people and their memories? But maybe I can come on the week after, talk about how it went. Right on. All right. Thanks, Galen. Galen Mook, Massachusetts Bike Coalition Executive Director. We're in a fun drive. Please donate to valleyfreeradio.org. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. I'm proud to have you out here and keep up the good work. Will do. Bye-bye today.